Well, good morning, church. This last week, we spent a few days in Washington, D.C. Functionally, that's where our federal government happens. We expected to see the Capitol, the White House, the Department of Labor. And there's a lot of security there and because that's where important people live and that's where important people work. And if the president decided to run things from South Royalton, it'd be a w bit weird, wouldn't it? And so as we move into John chapter 7, we're in the section of intense hatred towards Jesus for the next few weeks. There's a, a big contrast between the crowds and the Jews and the disciples. They were just trying to figure out what they wanted from Jesus. But he's still away from Judea and Galilee, away from the Jewish national center, the head of the government, the head of religion, the head of commerce for the nation. And he's faced with the temptation to go to Jerusalem to get his glory. But Jesus is staying away from Jerusalem because Jesus will get glory, just not where we expect it, because it'll be in his humility. So would you pray with me? Father, would you be glorified in our time this morning? Would you be glorified and honored in the opening of your word? Help us to understand it. Help us to obey it. Help us to worship you because of because it. Because we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Back to verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. And so his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. And after saying this, he remained in Galilee. So about six months have passed since chapter 6 when many of his disciples turned away from Jesus. It says after this, and it really just means chronologically, not immediately after those events. And according to Josephus, the Jewish historian, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booze, was the most popular of the Jewish principal Jewish festivals. It was more important in attendance than Passover, it was more important in attendance than Pentecost, and it would have been an opportune time for Jesus to do some teaching, to share his message, to make himself known. And we see as well that the Jews had moved on from grumbling and debating about the things of Jesus that he said in chapter 6 to now a desire to kill him. And at this point forward, we're moving towards Jesus' hour, his substitutionary death on the cross that we just celebrated last Friday night on Good Friday. And so during the Feast of Tabernacles, Jerusalem would be full of people. It would be a great opportunity to minister publicly, attract a large crowd. And Jesus' brothers thought that this would be a great opportunity for him to make himself known and influence more folks. There's opportunity in large cities, and there's large businesses, but Jesus isn't a salesman. He's not a college student looking for a job. And in verse 4, Jesus' half-brothers say, well, show yourself to the world. And in an honor-shame culture, one status affects the whole family. They would get notoriety as well as Jesus. And as we move from the crowds and their questions, the Jews and their hatred, the false disciples, their lack of faith, and the true disciples and their belief, we get as close as we can to Jesus now, his family. As Jesus would gain notoriety, so would the brothers. It would make sense that they would ask Jesus to go to Jerusalem. But if Jesus was interested in religious prominence, listening to his brothers would have been an ideal situation. If Jesus was interested in a huge evangelistic crusade, his brother's advice would be great. If Jesus was interested in being king on a throne here on earth, Jerusalem's most prominent festival would have offered him the greatest opportunity. That's who we would want Jesus to be, right? 
Change the world, Jesus. Make that which is bad go away, Jesus. Rule and reign and in the bloodshed, hatred, the sickness, the poverty, everything that is bad. That's what most would want of Jesus, but that's not what Jesus seeks at this point in his ministry. It's not what Jesus came to do. We should desire for others more from Jesus than his notoriety. It's why Jesus wrote, or John wrote this gospel, that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus came to give life, not to get the press. Life comes through the death for him. Glory of him comes through his humility. We'll see this more as we keep going. And this reminder is from Jesus that when he says in verse 6, my time is not yet come, his time pointed to the cross. His time pointed to his death as a humble king with no political motives in place uh, in our place. With no political motives, he dies in our place on the cross for our sins. Where Jesus knew why he came and he didn't listen to his brothers because he didn't have approval from the father yet. It wasn't his time to die. And even the brothers are superficial disciples. Neither the disciples nor the brothers could see the, and perceive the significance of the things they saw and heard. They didn't connect things with Jesus, his real identity, his purpose on earth, and they wanted earthly glory for Jesus. But Jesus is interested in the glory of the Father. Think about this. His brothers who lived with him his whole life didn't understand his divinity and purpose of Jesus' earthly ministry. His divinity was so perfectly hidden before he began his earthly ministry that even his brothers for 30 years living in the same home didn't even understand or connect the dots even though he never disobeyed mom and dad. And when we ask God for things, are we? I think if they can misunderstand things, I think we can too. And like they asked Jesus for things, when we ask God for things, are we asking in line with the Father's will? Or he won't answer if positively if you aren't. Are you asking for things so that you can build your kingdom, as James says, to spend it on your passions? God delights to respond to your quests, but when you ask and consider, will this bring God glory or will it cause joy for others and myself? If it, is, if it will, then go ahead. Ask away. Jesus, he doesn't depend on the will of men, even those in his own household. Where Jesus has complete and utter dependence on God. And imagine the temptation that Jesus faced, where he just recently lost some of his disciples. He can get more by just going to Jerusalem and opening up his mouth. But Jesus decides to stay in Galilee, a small area with little population, like he went to a small town of Cana to make wine, where he met with a woman at the well off the beaten path in the Samaritan town of Sychar. He left the crowd at the Sea of Galilee to go to the other side of the lake. Jesus is not here in John 7 for a populist movement. He cares about those that are marginalized, and he wants to love them. His perf purpose was to live a perfect life, to die a substitutionary death for those who he would believe in him, and raise from the dead to give a newness of life. And the time to do that was not yet. The marginalized needed Jesus to die on their behalf according to the plan of God, including those who were in Jerusalem. The world hates Jesus, as we see in verse 7. It's an enmity with him because the world loves darkness. The world hates the truth and Jesus wants to spend his last years on earth showing them the truth and giving them grace. In John 2, when Jesus was asked about helping when the wine ran out and his mother asked him and he responded that it wasn't his hour as well. No evasion was intended here either. Jesus wasn't, hasn't received from the Father a word of approval on his next move. 
And often when we approach a decision, we look, we like a circumstance. We find people to agree with us and we won't, that won't get in the way. We pray quickly about it to just make sure in case someone asks us. We find God's word and somewhere that can help justify our, justify our actions. But I think we should go to God's word first, where sometimes it's clear, don't cheat on your taxes. Sometimes it's not as direct, like love your neighbor. Then go to God in prayer. Ask God for wisdom. Ask trusted counsel, folks in this room, your elders, and heed their counsel. And then look to your circumstances, where we can slow down. We can ask, is this God glorifying before you make a decision? The next section shows us why Jesus didn't go without the Father's approval. Look at verse 10. But after this, his brothers had gone up to the feast, and he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there is much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man, others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Jesus goes to the feast, and the assumption is that the Father has signaled to Jesus in some way that he should go. But Jesus goes in private. He journeys quietly to Jerusalem, not making a big entrance to draw attention to himself at the festival. You're familiar with Palm Sunday. He goes in on a donkey, and the whole city comes out to greet him, cheer for him, welcoming their king, shouting, Hosanna. And that hour is not yet. It's much more quiet this time. In verse 6, we see some Jews say that he's a good man, while others a deceiver. Like we talked about on Easter, Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. They think he's a liar, a deceiver, someone leading the people astray. Or is he a lunatic? Is he a crazy man? Or is he Lord? John said some said he was a good man, but he wouldn't be a good man if he was a liar or a lunatic. And they understood this, that he's either Lord, liar, or lunatic. But no one spoke openly of him in verse 13, because his hour had not yet come. God kept their mouths closed because Jesus will get glory, just not where we expect it, because it'll be with him in his humility. Let's continue. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? And so Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but him who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking of my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. And so Jesus does some more teaching. So he goes to the middle of the feast. He's no longer incognito. He is out in the open. And not only does he just show up in the middle of the festival, but he began to teach immediately, which causes a big stir. He's not holding back anymore. But Jesus will still get glory, just not where we expected it. It'll be in his community. Jesus is about God's glory, not in private or in public ministry, but obeying the Father to glorify the Father. Where Jesus gets glory by obeying the Father. And the Father gets glory by the Son's obedience. The Jews don't like this. They speak up quickly in verse 15. This guy hasn't studied. Jesus is a teacher. He's disciples. He's his students, but they know he's never studied. And Jesus' response to them is to do the Father's will. The way he showed he is learned is to teach the Father's will, but also to obey it himself. Jesus' supernatural understanding of the scriptures is what amazes these people. Where Jesus has never studied under a rabbi, but he's got a profound mastery of God's word and the scripture. And they don't like it. 
Jesus has the words of eternal life, and the hostility from the Jews is because they don't see it. But most importantly, they don't believe it. He teaches God's will, but he obeys it. It's against the world. And does that characterize us? I think we generally fall into one or two buckets. We love God's word, we read it, we share it, we call other people to follow it like we do, like a good Pharisee, like a good rule of follower. Or you want to just apply God's word. You want to get involved in social justice issues like helping the poor, serving the marginalized, having mercy, which are good and in God's word we should be doing. But with Jesus, there's a combination of knowing the word of God, but also obeying it. Reciting a Bible verse doesn't show much on its own. Being a good person doesn't show much on its own either. But knowing God's word, following it, and doing it, that's a disciple of Jesus. Where knowing and loving and following God's word distinguishes true disciples of Jesus from the world around us. And Jesus goes on to further explain himself in verse 17. If you want to do God's will, one should correlate Jesus' words with God's words. The one who speaks of his own authority seeks his own glory, but not like Jesus. Jesus will get glory, just not where we expect it, because it will be in his humility. Where Jesus' glory comes from seeking the glory of the Father, not by a teacher or a degree. I have degrees on, my wall in the off, or on the wall in my office. They are just pieces of paper. They don't tell you anything about where I went to school or what degree I have. They don't tell you much about my grades, how much I studied, how much I've retained of that knowledge. So how do you know if my time in seminary is fruitful or I should be followed? Well, every time I get up here to preach or teach God's word, consider my words. If I'm false, correct me. Degrees don't matter. Truth matters. But don't take my word for it. Look at the Bible and make sure that I'm always being truthful according to the scriptures. See if my actions line up with the Bible too. The brothers couldn't see Jesus teaching us from God. And so it's probably easy for us to see, not to see if teaching is from the enemy either. While other saviors and messiahs act for their own selfish interests, Jesus came to glorify the Father. If Jesus was seeking his own glory, it would have been natural to desire to win the approval of others. But he seeks the honor of those who represents, but also is, truth. False teachers go contrary to God's word. To know if a false teacher is false, you must know the truth. And we hear this time all the time around us, right? Follow me. Learn from me. I have the answers. That guy doesn't know what he's talking about. But in three, three easy payments, $99, you can have this information too. We have to know God's word to discern if teaching is from God's word. Teaching from God's word and following God's word leads to God's glory. And Paul has some harsh words for false teaching in Galatians chapter 1. Verse 8 and 9, he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach the gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. And as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. If Paul, who wrote half the books of the New Testament, preaches a false gospel, let him be accursed. Or if an angel, like the Mormon faith suggests, an angel who gave extra teaching to Joseph Smith, let him be accursed. I want to teach properly, and I should want you should want to hear accurately. And if I don't do it, get rid of me. Jesus used the example of Moses to make his case as we finish up this morning. Look with me at verse 19. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. 
If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Jesus says Moses gave the law, and Jesus knows their hypocrisy because they don't keep the law. And Jesus asks a rhetorical, a rhetorical question to the Jews and the crowds. Not the Jews. Yell out. You have a demon. This is an idiom of their saying, you are crazy. Here's the lunatic. The hostility has spread to everyone. Jesus has challenged their traditions. Jesus challenged the teaching of their instructors. Jesus penetrated their idols of their hearts and their glory. And so the hatred starts to well up inside them. Jesus knows they hate him because he did one miracle, healing the cripple by the pool we saw in John chapter 5. And after reiterating their hatred for the whole man being healed, Jesus moves the conversation to circumcision. Following traditions, the Jews practice circumcision. They circumcise on the Sabbath, even though it would break the law uh, if it falls on the eighth day. And so Jesus is showing them that a little cut for circumcision is more important than the whole body healing, and that's wrong. They're mad Jesus made the whole body of the cripple well, and it was never about the eighth day or the process of circumcision. It's about the covenant God makes with his people. It's about a covenant with the whole body, not the outward sign of, not the outward about the outward sign of an inward transformation like we practice baptism. Jesus reiterates in verse 23, he does more than just circumcise the foreskin. Jesus circumcises one's heart. He wants whole bodies well, and it happens by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, where glory comes by his humility. And just like the man who needed physical healing, the Jews and the crowds and us, we need spiritual healing. He cannot keep the law. We cannot keep the law either. Then the law is supposed to show us our need for a Savior. Paul says this in Romans 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Friends, the law shows God's righteousness and perfection. The law also shows us how to restrain evil, like don't murder, how to best love your neighbors. The law also shows us how to live and obey God's word. When we don't follow it, which happens every day, the gospel shows us Jesus died and will die in our place. Sorry, the gospel shows us what Jesus did and that he will die in our place in the scriptures. That's how Jesus reminds us that the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ from chapter 1. Jesus concludes, don't judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Trust the right measurement of holiness and glory for God, which is God and his word. Don't consider just what's on the outside or what the, you've been instructed by, what religious ceremonies you follow, how much praise or even one even gets from the world around him. Trust God's word as the true judge. Judge with right judgment. Judge the heart. Judge what's truly inside, and only God knows what's truly there, but out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Jesus did say how to tell what's in the heart from our perspective. Go back to verse 17 and 18. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he should know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking of my own authority. The one who speaks of his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. The scriptures, Jesus, the Father, they're always true. Everything the Bible says is for the Father's glory, and Jesus will get glory 
just not where we expect it because it'll be in his humility. Jesus will get glory. Not by obey, going to the center of the festival, but rather by obeying the Father's will and directing glory to the Father. When we want our glory, when we fail to follow the law, when we want to shout out that Jesus is a liar or a lunatic, he still dies in humility for us so we would believe and call him Lord. And because he is our Lord, we get to submit to God's, word, God's will too, as revealed in his word, to bring glory to our Father. He changes our hearts, which changes our actions. Friends, we get to follow Jesus. And so we get to be a people submitted to God's word. We get to be, so let's be a people who follow God's word. Let's be a people who proclaim the God's word. Let's be a people who trust God's word because it's eternal life as the gospel is shared, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. As we invite the worship team back up, would you pray? Father, thank you that your word contains eternal life, that Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, as he took on flesh, the word made flesh, to die for us, to love us. And so, God, we believe, we ask that you would help our unbelief, you would help us to follow and love you and glorify you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and be honored in the rest of our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.